Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Autism Everyday Podcast. We are your host, Swati and Dr. Geeta. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. It still feels strange. <laughs> Been a couple of hours, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, for our, all our listeners out there, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what really made you study autism at a doctorate level, if that's okay? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm jumping right into it, but please. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I did ponder over, you know, many different uh, possible topics, but I think uh, autism is something that's been a part of my life for the last 20 years and something that um, I think I'm most comfortable with and something that I realized there is a lot more to learn about, really. Uh, it always seems like, you know, we've just touched the tip of the iceberg and that there is so much more that we are still learning and need to know. So, yeah, that um, was what took me back to autism, my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I think more than your comfort zone, it's it's probably what drives you the yes, most, right? Yes, absolutely. Something yeah. that has kept me motivated all these years. So. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I mean, I know that you did speak with a lot of parents, but what is the one thing that really stood out, you know, in the course of, of your thesis? What is that one thing that really stood out? Many, many points come to mind, you know, when um, at various levels, uh, during the initial interviews with, uh, with families, mm-hmm. uh, right, I spoke to families with children from ages seven to the oldest was 30, right? Wow, that, yeah. that's a really wide yeah. population. Yeah. And the reason I wanted this, this wide range was to see, um, will families of older children have some words of advice looking back mm-hmm. what could have been different of course um, the environment was very different than the knowledge that was available about autism the resources that were available um, the fact that we really did not have the internet even 20 years back it was dial up Right, right. The, Which means, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. the you know BBSNL dial-up. Yeah, and then and it would it would actually ring <laughs> and connect. And I mean, if you look at the speed now, and we yeah. were really patient at that point of time, waiting for it to connect. Um, so things were very different. I accept, but I also wanted to understand. You know, has the experience for families? changed so for a family with a seven-year-old or a six-year-old today Mm -hmm. has the experience been any different from what it was uh, for a family with who has a 28 year old or a 17 year old um, uh, child right right today Uh, how is it any different was something i really wanted to understand and the wisdom or the experience of families with older children do they have anything to share that would make a difference for families with young children today who are just uh, just got a diagnosis who are starting off on this journey of intervention yeah so that was the reason i had an age range which was so big um and of course if the, the i mean one of the things was a lot of the older families of older children did not probably do not have a gold standard diagnosis or you know it's something that somebody told them there were all kinds of experiences but then that's what it was 28 years back or 27 years back which was the oldest that we're looking at right so um 
that was one thing um and then the second thing that stood out to me uh, is uh, that many of the uh, of the families um went on to thanking me later mm-hmm. uh, for giving them an opportunity to talk about their journey which i thought was uh, something so heartwarming because yeah. in my mind i felt like i would be probably you know taking them back to all those years of struggles or the fact or the day that they received a diagnosis things that they have put into the past and i'm making them relive the whole experience and would it be uh, painful for them or would it be something that would take them back uh, yeah. into that mode but strangely there were actually five families who thanked me for giving them the opportunity to to you know relive and go back through the journey it was almost therapeutic for them that was something which um, that's beautiful yeah, yeah that's right? really beautiful it is not something that i was um, expecting to hear from them um and um, i think what stands out to me from families is that it is a constant it's not easy um and the fact that it is a lot of hard work it's a lot of work and as the child grows the needs change um the behaviors may change the things that you're looking for will change awareness from the family changes if you look at a lot of uh, families with children under 10 then their expectations and what they want for their child and what they're looking forward to is so different right from when the child turns 10 it's like it's like a cusp it's an age and then once a child is 10 and older then families begin to rethink okay this is not what we're looking for let's change uh, and look at what we need to do um set more realistic expectations sometimes or push in a different direction sometimes or if the child is showing capacity to remain where he is as far as education goes then you know keep nudging him in that direction but it's fascinating how that 10 is the landmark age which yeah. kind of makes the family realign some of their views and how families with younger children have a far more a vision which is more wide mhm more hope mhm yeah naturally of yeah. course yeah more yeah. hope um and they're able to describe better what they want for their child as outcomes yeah because my study was all about interventions and outcomes and the outcomes that they are able to describe are um shall we say much wider in scope right um and uh, but when as when you speak to families with children 15 and older then you can see more reality at that point of time okay actually you know they get more real uh, they get more definitive um there is a shift again in right. the way that they are able to express what they see as outcomes for their child okay wonderful yeah and um you know you've spoken to so many parents but if there was just this one piece of universal advice i know that's hard but um as as a practitioner and you know as an interventionist what is that one piece like of universal advice uh you you could give them if to families yeah yeah <laughs> it's hard to pin it down really um but uh, one of the things that i would you know keep and i think that's something we keep telling families in our practice uh, every day is 
that we need to keep focusing a lot on functionality and yeah. adaptive functioning yeah uh, because um i think we've done a study before you mm-hmm. and me uh, on what families want for their children it's a published paper and everybody spoke of independence right right, right? and independence means different things to different families fair enough they all have a definition uh, but we always see it as you know he should be able to take care of his own stuff or um, he should be able to live on his own or something like that or financially independent or be able to do things without active supervision from the family um but actually independence has a much much wider connotation as research shows adaptive functioning is a huge term and it includes um day to day skills like you know self care and hygiene to cooking to shopping to navigation to logistics to emotional regulation uh, to friendships to uh, social skills to expression to communication being able to ask for what they want being able to protect themselves safety it's it's like a whole gamut yeah right that you're looking at then there is employability then there is ability to um, be safe and live independently or live with like minded individuals or whatever it is that the family wants so when you look at adaptive functioning we're looking at a whole range of skills and very often those skills get lost in early intervention simply mm-hmm. because we're looking at okay what is this child need fair enough we're looking at enabling this child to go into the schooling system or to learn some of the more basic stuff mm-hmm. um, that he or she may need but to keep in mind that once a child is 10 12 13 or older then if a lot of these adaptive skills are not in place then the challenges are going to be multifold right right so the fact that we need to work on just so many things and even if a child has gone into the school system and has graduated from high school or gone to college and graduated from college which a couple of um, the participants had children mm-hmm. who had been through that oh, wow. yet these are families who are still dealing with challenges of independence or mm-hmm. adaptive functioning in that their children are still have limitations maybe with emotional regulation maybe with being a part of the household um they do not want to take part in activities um they choose not to take part in activities and to sometimes they are unable to as well so how this is such a critical component because if after all that that person cannot be functioning independently then we really not doing justice as far as intervention goes lovely lovely yeah and yeah so for our final question do you think things are very different um in india as opposed to you know the west where aba originates and where they you know supposedly says autism occurs more yeah. um do you think things are different because i do know that you had a couple of participants who you know were cross cultural in that they live here but they've been there as well yeah so do yeah. you think things are different yes i'm um, i think one of the things that stood out was that uh when if you are in say the US mm-hmm. and you get a diagnosis and a couple of families were in the US when they did get a diagnosis there is a system in place that starts cranking up as mm. soon as the child gets a diagnosis or there are red flags right so there is a system that starts with you on intervention on the right kind of evidence based intervention of course it so happened that these families chose to come back to india at that point of time for various reasons so there is a system and in place that 
tells the parents hey this is what you need to do and that is a system that's missing in india while you can look at it as complete freedom of choice uh, what sticks out from the participant reports is that they were lost right they were right. floundering they did not know because all the doctor or the physician who gave them a diagnosis said was wrote something on a slip of paper and said autism or pdd or whatever it is depending on the time I did not explain much beyond that families had heard the name autism for the first time and just said or directed them to go for specific therapies um so parents were lost and they felt helpless they felt alone so need for extensive counseling mm-hmm. if you remember when we visited a center in the us uh, there was it's almost seemed luxurious yeah right? there is a social worker there yeah. there are counselors so it it's like you receive a diagnosis in room 1 and then there are those <laughs> other people the yeah. families automatically get a lot of those things happening yeah. but what stood out among the families in india who participated in my study was the complete lack of psychoeducation the complete right. lack of information at every level starting from diagnosis going on to professionals who work with them and at every level in life the need for case managers the need for some authority who is looking at them through the lifespan of the child and helping them make those crucial choices for their children yeah wonderful wonderful Yeah so thank you for that I also want to um you know because I you know I had the privilege of like knowing what your thesis was about I think the one thing that really uh, stood out as well mm-hmm. is the fact that a lot of the participants well the children they didn't have a formal system of communication in place yes, yes. um despite having studied at various levels and achieved um you know educate like degrees or finished high school or middle school or whatever yeah, right yeah. so i think that is also something that yes you know universally needs to be worked yes, on that came yes. i think that came out in your findings didn't yes, it yes yes i i i think um cultural context mm-hmm. where we as indians are so driven by social expectations and social norms and what will they say what will my family think mm. what will society think right that mm. drives us so much more uh, so research many other research papers from india have also focused on the fact that uh, families choose uh, what is socially uh, acceptable as you know being more critical mm-hmm. than developmentally appropriate uh, uh, goals that a child needs to achieve so we tend to shift focus towards that towards what is socially acceptable um as a result we leave developmentally appropriate behaviors behind mm-hmm. while if you really look at it we should be focusing on developmentally appropriate behaviors because that is what is going to stand the child in good stead in the long run right and going to make them functional individuals while we focus on them being able to do things that society expects them to which would be numeracy literacy academic school writing um being able to answer when somebody says what's your name because then that those are things that begin to take priority which obviously then in the long run impact the you know the functioning of the child yeah which pretty, includes communication yeah right? i mean pretty much color you <laughs> yeah. know getting them to color within the lines yes. as opposed to just it's so important right or getting them to play 
this way with a set of toys and this is not all right or coloring within the lines or being able to hold uh, have a pencil grasp pencil grasp for a yeah. uh, grasp for writing yeah. and so on and so forth they take priority yeah. why is my child um while parents really don't want to focus on communication i mean can he just say i don't want to color yeah. which is the best communication yeah. out there yeah. right yeah. yeah and a lot of resistance to obviously alternate modes of communication if yep. the child is not talking yep so they grow up to be adults who still are not able to express their own needs mm. and and of course uh, the other big thing that we don't look at is comorbidities Oh, right which is according to research present in at least 40 to 50% of individuals with ASD Wh- what are right? some of the comorbidities ADHD most common okay um then you have anxiety you have depression you have obsessive compulsive disorders um so why is it that you know but many times we choose to believe that this is just some of the behaviors that you see are part as part of the autism um, spectrum disorder like it's just part of the triad, triad and it's not right, right right and uh, how it could be a comorbid disorder and mm-hmm. if there is a comorbid disorder then that is something that may need to be addressed medically as well right 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 but uh, accepting that one there could be a comorbid disorder and two accepting that it might need medical intervention these are two right. things again that i believe families need to watch out for right from the beginning uh-huh. if there are red flags even when the child is young uh, if they need to be addressed if we can get over this stigma, stigma against medication yeah, yeah. um because if they need it they need it if yeah. they, if somebody has diabetes and they need medication they need it there's no two ways about it If only we treated it like Dolo 650. Dolo 650. <laughs> And we were all popping uh, it. You right? can just pop it in. It's free. <laughs> so yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. And I think, you know, we already have our next episode. It's already been written in our heads <laughs> as we speak. But thank you so much for sharing your doctoral journey with thank everyone. Thank you. Yeah. It's it was a wonderful journey. It was a lot of hard work. Um, I'll bet. <laughs> I loved it. I some I hated some moments <laughs> when I had to make some submissions and you know, but it's been a lot of learning. Yeah. Um and I hope we can bring those changes in our practice and talk to more and more families and practitioners to make those changes wonderful thank you so with that we're signing off and do check out our podcast on spotify and itunes apple podcasts and while you're at it go check our social media page on facebook and instagram bye bye bye